a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The Triple Threat. Hi. Hey. Hello. Good to hear from you guys again. You too. Fun fact, we don't record with video, so I was about to say good to see you again, but that would just be representing reality as it is not, so... Unless you're envisioning us in your mind, and in that case, it's very good to see both of you, because you guys look exquisite in my mind. Oh, thank you. Thank you. In that case, yeah. I've gotten a supreme compliment saying they thought we were all in the same room, based on how we sound design and edit, which makes me feel very good as the editor, so... Yeah, because we are states apart for those of you who are joining us for the first time. Yep. Uh, What are you all drinking today? What a curveball question for the opening What a curveball. I I almost didn't know how to answer. Uh, So I'm finishing up my weird smoothie concoction and I was craving bubble tea with like the boba and everything. So I placed an order. Thank you, DoorDash. I now am enjoying a wonderful, really huge cup of bubble tea. You have bubble tea in Cody, Wyoming? Heck yeah, we do. What? Oh my gosh, What do you yeah. think, Cody's and, just backward hicks? And what we you... have the best sushi ever, hands down. I don't doubt that. Wow. Because frozen fish is good. Boom, roasted. Well, I don't even remember Billings having a boba tea place. I'm surprised because Cody has one. I couldn't say. I, I, I know. I don't like this stuff, so I don't know if it <gasps> is in Billings or not. Mm, Sorry. It's so good. I'm glad it's good, Emily. Um, I am drinking it's like wet bread bubbles. What? <laughs> That's what it's like. No, it's I'm so good. It. I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, I'm drinking a cup of tea. I'm drinking some kava stress relief Cuppa. again. Delicious. And I also made myself a cold brew on the AeroPress of the Highline Beans. Yum. And I put some, we got some like whipped cream that's pumpkin spice flavored. Although to be honest, come on, it just tastes like spice. So our theory is that they are going to repurpose it for eggnog whipped cream in a couple months. Oh. All right. Because That's it doesn't clever. taste pumpkin-y. It just tastes spiced. That's Frugal. clever. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's all about branding, baby. Uh-huh. Love it. No, it tastes like pumpkin spice because they said pumpkin spice. Yep. They got to prime your expectations is what they're doing. I am enjoying a can uh, from our friend Tyler in Finley, Ohio, the Finley Brewing Subtropic Brew, back on this very delicious IPA, very heavy on the pineapple hints of uh, of flavor here. Truly one of my favorite beers I've ever encountered. I'm so impressed with it, and it's delicious. It's the last one in the fridge, so cheers to Uh, this, my friends. Bittersweet. I know, I know. I could always get some more, though. I feel like pineapple is like more tangy than bittersweet, though. Right? Oh, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just meant my emotions nice. of like, I'm going to savor this final one. You know, you get it. I get it. Okay. Friends, Josh, Emily, I have present an enormous announcement <gasps> for the podcast. And we could have coordinated this with like some fun, like 100 episode anniversary or, or whatever. But here on episode 112, I am proud to announce that we, as the Ravel Podcast, have a phone number and a voicemail box that anyone on the internet, boy, this sound, the, the way I said that makes it sound super dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> anyone on the internet could call this phone number and leave us a comment on a past episode. They could leave us a question that could prompt a new episode. 
spoiler alert, that's what's going to happen today. I also thought it would be fun to open up the voicemail box to what I'm going to call audio reviews. So if you're not a Spotify user or an Apple Mm. podcast user and you want to leave a review for the podcast and a chance to hear your voice on the show, uh, we'd love to feature you as a review of the show. Uh, Leave us an audio review, uh, preferably five stars. That would be amazing. If it's constructive criticism less than five stars, we also invite that. But if you're not one of those users and you want to call in to the hotline, as it were, it's not a hotline. No one will answer. No one will ever answer. Oh, I think we should call it the hotline. Okay. Fair enough. I like that. Okay. The Ravel hotline. We're we're just always sending it to voicemail. Yeah. It defaults to voicemail. And yeah, you could just, you could just fill that mailbox up with whatever comment, question, concern, or review you have of the show that will become a, uh, a segment as those come in Uh, fun, new experiment for us. Things will be evolving. Also, we might use it to do some other fun things in the future. We're uh, brainstorming for the next year. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, we might be using this for some very fun things down the line. Yeah. So things will be evolving for the way that uh, patrons get to interact. Uh, that news forthcoming, friends. But in the meantime, go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 601-55-RAVEL, if you're familiar with the T9 keyboard. If you're not, though, because I never know what numbers they mean when they do a cool phone number like that, the number is 601-557-2835. That'll be in the show notes from now on. Give us a call. Give us a comment. Uh, we have our first voicemail that we're going to play over the air. Uh, this comes from our friend Eric that is going to launch today's episode. So here we go. Let's hear from Eric. Hi there. Uh, my name is Eric, and I actually actually have a question for this podcast. So uh, here it is. Uh, is there any way that we can communicate like with loved ones that have recently like, passed on? Or if a loved one that has passed on, is there any way they can communicate with us? All right. Thanks. I love it. Short and sweet and to the point. What a follow-up to last episode with the (laughs) near-death experiences. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Right? All right, Eric. Great question. Thank you for being our first in the voicemail box. Really appreciate it. Uh, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The veil of death. Especially after a near-death experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Gut reaction. What do y'all think? I mean, famously, you two are the two out of the three that don't believe in any kind of afterlife. <laughs> so yeah, I, I am uh, what is more or less <laughs> described as a total annihilationist yep. or a, mm-hmm. uh, a universal annihilationist. Maybe maybe I do believe in universalism. It's just annihilation. It's all just a dirt um, map. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my initial gut reaction is no. I don't see any reason to believe in consciousness post-death. Although, going back to one of Stephen's points from last episode, I'm willing to admit that like science could discover more about the way that consciousness functions and emerges. But currently, I'm very skeptical of anybody who thinks that like they are communicating with someone from beyond the grave. Okay. Emily, I want your thoughts. My gut reaction? This is Pastor. Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you ready for this? Uh-huh. She's going to say yes. I know it. I know. Curveball. I am going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Wild card, baby. Okay. <laughs> Continue. And I think, again, it has to do with what I said on the previous episode of I can't validate people's experiences. And so if people do believe that they have communicated with loved ones who have passed or have been visited by loved ones past. I can neither confirm or deny. I can only validate the experience and help process with them. Uh, Although I will say, I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea of communicating with loved ones, but I think we need to be cautious. Uh, I think it can be a very slippery slope very quickly. And yeah, I what do you think mean it is by that like Ouija board uh, well, or oh yeah, Ouija board. Well, <laughs> more more along the lines of just being manipulative. Like you know, we have the mediums. Like what's the one I was thinking of the other day? Uh, oh, Sylvia Plath. No, there was another one. Uh, oh, the name is escaping me. It'll come to me randomly in this episode. Uh, but people who have been known to manipulate situations. 
because they uh, tell people that they have communed with loved ones and really they haven't. Oh, uh, gotcha. And so just, yeah, being very manipulative of people's emotions and their their emotional state, especially if they are still processing and grieving uh, a recent passing of a loved one. Mm. So I am hopeful about, yes, I think people can and possibly, you know, it does happen, but being mindful of where are they at emotionally and what is their grieving process like and not to take advantage of that. Mm. Does that in any way count as a reversal for your personal opinions on afterlife or? I'm going to say halvesies. Yeah, it does. Oh, interesting. Halvesies. Halvesies. All right. Um, As you both know, though new listeners to the podcast might not be aware of, I believe that in a bit of uh, prayerful meditation, I believe I have met my first daughter that was miscarried a couple years ago. So this question is, while I, I do think it's very fun and represents something of like good imagination, I also feel like I have a personal experience that is incredibly meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And that actually has done a lot to inform where I find my theology continue continuing coming back to a belief in afterlife. Like I like I I honestly feel like before my experience I was at best agnostic and I don't want to say at worst cuz I don't want to make it sound like a judgment statement but I think I was pretty close to like total annihilation like you Josh but having the experience I have within my prayer practice and you know, the best words I can put it to I feel like I encountered Jesus and that he introduced me to a child who I felt an extreme connection to. And I felt like I knew who she was because of uh, my wife and I having just recently given that uh, miscarriage a name. So certainly I want to acknowledge that the experience has shaped theology. Whereas I grew up in a Christian tradition that said theology ought to have a reverse effect and shape your experience and your theology should not be informed oh, that's interesting. by your experience. I've never like really thought about it in those terms, but that, that is really interesting. Does that ring true to you? I, you and I grew up pretty similarly in kind of Baptist circles. Mm, I think that I was raised more with the experiential side valued. I would say it was pretty balanced actually. Oh yeah. Okay. What do you want to do with the stories in the Bible that seem to be communication happening? Yeah, those are curious. I feel like we've like mm-hmm. brushed up against those before, like on the magic and other faith practices episode. Yeah. But like it is weird because like the stories like I think King Saul and uh, calling up the ghost of Samuel. Yep. I feel like that's probably the best known example where there's like interaction with the dead. And it doesn't seem to, the story doesn't seem to assume that it's like not working, but it like assume it like tries to tell the reader that we shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. But that it can happen is the it weird can part. can happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'd be curious to hear what you two think of that. Cause for me, that doesn't like the way that I would explain that is I don't have a qualm with people trying to do it. Because I, I don't think that anything is like dangerously happening, I suppose. Because like, I guess growing up, I would have been taught like that any communication with the dead and ghosts is actually a demon. And mm. I don't believe either of those can happen now. So like on one hand, I don't think that there's like an inherent danger necessarily. Like if someone is like going through like a ritual of more or less trying to communicate with a loved one who's passed on. Like I've really liked your point, Emily, about like they are usually in a very vulnerable emotional state and like it's usually being sought out of healing and closure. And if that's what it leads to, great in my mind. Like I don't I don't see like an inherent danger in doing that necessarily. And to me, that story with King Saul and Samuel the only part that I think for me would have to be reconciled is the the Bible assuming that it's happening. But also I think that the readers at the time would have also assumed that it was real. So 
that I feel like that yeah. explains that for me just fine. What do you think that assumption would have been based on? Um, another loaded question from Stephen to Josh. I don't know. Like when when you're like in a culture and a worldview that already accepts something as reality. Yeah, it's just so easy to totally not question it. Yeah. you know. Like I was reminded in this conversation already of the famous mentalist James Randi. Do you guys know that name? Mm-mm. Uh, he had a really good documentary on Netflix that was done about him biographically. I think he's dead now, I believe. We I don't remember what him. the name of it. We should ask him. I'll, I'll try and find out the name of it because we can put a link to it because the documentary was so good. He is probably the most famous like debunking mentalist. Like he will, uh, re- he regularly challenged psychics and mediums to like do their shtick under his conditions because he knew all of their tricks. Yes. Um, there's another guy right now who's like really big on TikTok called Dustin the Mentalist and he really debunks more of like the small scale like telepathy, like kinetic kind of stuff rather than like big name psychic brands that are trying to like sell seances and like sell connections to the dead and you know, stuff like that. So yeah, I think that when you're like raised to believe that those things are normal and reality and you don't have someone like James Randi to come in and know how it's done and like disprove it all, then you just don't question it. Like you just assume that it's real. And then it totally makes sense to me why in Jewish culture, they would be advised against that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have the name now. I told you it'd come to me. (laughs) Teresa Teresa Caputo, Long Island medium. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the name I was thinking of. That was really random. I told you it'd come to me. Amazing. Yeah. I think the idea of like the Jewish people would be operating under that assumption I almost feel like that is in a way kind of informing my uh, turnaround in the last number of weeks and months, like being more open to the idea of a spiritual realm is like, is trying to encounter the stories as they would have been encountered either by their original audience or the culture in which the story was born. And with the assumptions being made, what I really am trying to not be guilty of is just saying Oh, me as someone who is like on the other side of the enlightenment can clearly see what they're assuming and see what's happening. And therefore I can debunk it just based on, uh, you know, they didn't have the tools of rationality that we feel like we've discovered in this age or whatever. And recognizing what that audience or what that, where that author would have been coming from based on those assumptions. To me, I'm feeling more inclined to say, Well, I don't think I can discount it just because I haven't experienced it and really trying to like take seriously where they're coming from has made me more open to the idea than less lately. Emily, what would you say in response to the King Saul Samuel vignette? Like in regards to whether or not it is true or like what we should do about that? Yeah, because I like I think it's just really interesting that the story kind of assumes that it's happening, but is also in the context of King Saul should not have done it. Like Jewish people were advised to not channel or use mediums, etc. I think that story just shows the human experience of wanting to have answers and doing any means necessary of obtaining those answers. Because mm. we are creatures who like not only boundaries but also like things to be known we like we don't like mystery <laughs> we, we can we can be bothered by the unknown and having unanswered questions or unfinished business or whatever the case may be and so i think for king saul to want and you know basically like doing anything possible to talk to samuel's ghost is just pointing us in a direction of we get it. Like there were things that needed to happen and things that you want more answers to, or things that you wish to have more knowledge about, but this is not the way to do it. (laughs) And again, I think it was King Saul being in a vulnerable state and I think it's valid. So Mm. I think just being cautious, really. But cautious of what? Like, what do you think is the main thing to be cautious of? Well, it almost feels like the story is more a judgment on like 
the attitude or like the mental state in which he was in, it was like, it was more about, Oh, I see you'll go to all costs to like try and gain an upper hand here rather than mm-hmm. less a judgment on the method. Right. Cause again, like I feel like the, the thing that sticks out is like the story doesn't necessarily say that he was being duped by a demon either. No, it doesn't <laughs> like, right. The story assumes that he was speaking to the prophet Samuel who had been dead. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because it, it doesn't make a judgment statement on like the method in which like uh, the information was obtained. It was it was the fact that he was seemingly driven to like at all costs gain the upper hand. Yeah, I will admit um, as someone who was raised to believe that ghosts were just demons masquerading like to trick us to like steer us towards evil like something or like just to mess with us. And like as someone who feels like I don't believe in demons anymore. And then I also don't believe in consciousness after death. I will admit I'm not quite sure what to make of some people's ghostly experiences. Like the ones that like are obviously not people trying to connect with a past loved one, like foreclosure or like I think that like some of those instances could potentially be explained cognitively, like not to just like straight up deny those experiences, but like they, they serve more of like a cognitive function for the person, at least like Steven, I think your example is a, is a great example of that personally. Yeah, sure. But like the, the more nefarious, like ghostly encounters, as much as I think some of those are falsified there, there do seem to be a number of them that uh, maybe have some grounds for like an experience in reality that seems really strange and mysterious. I'm not sure what to make of those huh. as someone who doesn't have a theology about that currently. I uh, have I ever told you guys about the like the shadow person experience Dixie and I have had? No. <laughs> huh? What? Uh, what? Where are all of these stories coming from? How have we done? <laughs> A hundred and what episode is this? Like one oh nine? A hundred and twelve. What we've gotten in hundred and twelve episodes, and Emily has seen an angel, and Steven's seen a shadow person. What the fuck, you guys? How have we <laughs> how have we gotten this far? We were Incredible. afraid to tell I, the stories because we didn't want to be seen as crazy. I guess right you just wait for the right topic, I guess. Okay, I want to hear all about the shadow person all right. right now. All right, all right, cool, 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 cool. Here we go. Story time. Campfire story time, ghost stories time. So Dixie and I were house sitting for a friend in our area. So we went out, we were staying in their guest room and we had one night in like, they were far enough out in the country and like neither of us at this point were really prone to believe in the supernatural in this way. But like, you know, you, you stay in a strange home uh, a rather large home, I would add, and in a in a spot like in the Montana countryside where it was like pretty isolated, like the nearest neighbor was probably a quarter mile away. So like unfamiliar noises and uh, bumps and stuff like in the house would, I don't know. I think it's just natural to feel a, like a little on edge as far as like brand new experience that doesn't necessarily correlate to what we've learned that safe feels like to our bodies. So, like, a couple nights go by, no issue. We're taking care of all their animals in the barn, and we're just, like, we're hanging out. We have work and all that kind of stuff. But we we would stay at the house at night. And on the third and final night we were there, uh, we went to bed, and it wasn't, like, you know, like, spooky lightning storm was setting us on edge or whatever. Like, it was just a normal night, like the like, the two we had experienced with no issue already but on this last night we both went to sleep and i just wake up to noises (laughs) like terrified screams that i had never heard from my wife before and the way i tell the story is that i i woke up to her screaming and as i like flipped over to reach for the lamp over her side of the bed I saw what I thought, what I think was like a, like a humanoid shadow shape. And this being a typical, like 
American bedroom, I don't know, the ceiling is probably nine, 10 feet tall, right? Uh, the, the figure seemed to be taller than that because it had this weird, like hunch in its back and it was like leaning over Dixie's side of the bed. And like in a Whoa. flash, I saw this, I turned the lamp on and then I looked back and nothing was there. Yo. Whoa. Independently, she woke up, I turned on the lamp and I just kind of held her for a sec and we were like, okay, that was like, could have been a bad dream or something like that. We didn't tell each other like our experience or what we saw or whatever. We were just like, we're terrified. That freaked us out. It's three in the morning, which I would add is literally the witching hour. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, But so like we were terrified. Neither of us went to sleep again. So we like turned off. We literally turned on every light in the house and just like put on TV and just like sat in the living room with like every light on TV running. And we were just like, that was rattling. And as soon as, as soon as we were ready to go that morning, we were already scheduled to leave that morning and the family would be there that afternoon. So like we cleaned everything up and we left as soon as we felt like we were good to go. So I tell the story to one of my friends and Dixie tells her story to another friend. So without either of us confirming our experiences, we told our stories to friends and they line up. She felt like she saw the exact same thing. Whoa. Yo. Like a dark figure standing over her side of the bed, probably 12 feet tall, weird hunch in the back as it was like bending down at the limits of the ceiling. And as soon as the light was on, it was gone. What the fuck? <laughs> That's insane. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. and Well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Hey, I've been wondering, could we grab some coffee sometime? I've been wanting to check in on your walk with the Lord. Wake up, that coffee trap was a bad dream. What if I told you there was a way to never get asked out for coffee again? Boom, roasted, it's our own Highline blend. This coffee comes with a level of complexity and nuance never before found in your local Christian coffee shops. Visit highline.network shop or Tap the link in the show notes to solve all of your problems. 
And now your introverted, heretical ass can finally enjoy a cup of coffee and some goddamn peace for once. Whoa, okay, sorry I asked. Just trying to connect a bit outside of church. Guess I'll be praying for you. Brew method's not included. Coffee is extremely hot and can burn you unless you're an iced coffee heretic. Coffee not actually guaranteed to solve any of your relational problems and awkward theological conflicts, or actually prevent you from getting asked out on a date. Just tell them coffee is Christian crack and you've sworn off this stuff. Results may vary. Ask your pastor if consuming coffee is right for you. The Highline Blend. So, like, I believe you. Like, I know that you are a credible person and, like, that is a very double-blind kind of situation. Like, they'd be very difficult to falsify even if you wanted to. And, and I've run that scenario back in my head and I, like, I don't think I'm falsifying anything by saying, like, we did not tell each other what we saw until right, somehow exactly. we had already told the story to other people. Like, right. Mm. I feel very confident that that is the the history of like the accounts told to people and then discovering that they lined up because up until that point I was ready to lean on some of the psychological explanations of like subconsciously like a, uh, like a sleep paralysis situation, right? Where that's that specific chemical in the brain that keeps your body immobilized while you're dreaming for some reason becomes imbalanced and all of a sudden uh, you are consciously awake but that chemical that keeps you immobilized is still heavy enough that you physically feel like you cannot move. And psychologists have explained sleep paralysis and like, especially the shadow person phenomenon as your brain in an attempt to protect itself, right? Like your brain acknowledging that you are immobilized will pretty much backfill your worst fear into triggering that chemical to decrease enough to actually move your body again, because so it will project like a shadow person in the corner of the room in your imagination just to like jumpstart the system to get your muscles like responding to your brain again. Oh, interesting. And I've heard plenty of stories of sleep paralysis and shadow people encounters. And I think some of them are actually explainable by that. But the thing that freaks me the fuck out is that Dixie and I saw the same thing and did not tell each other until we had That's told so other people. Wild. Yeah. And we have no idea what it is. We had we had uh, all sorts of people thinking that we had an encounter with a demon. Um, right. We had some people trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. And they were like, hey, man, even angels would be terrifying. Like, why do you think the shepherds flattened themselves in the field when the angels came to announce that the baby Jesus was born? You know, like a uh, high shepherds quake at the sight. Like- exactly. <laughs> so like. Some people were trying to give it the benefit of the doubt and maybe maybe you were being visited by an angel. Wouldn't that be cool? But like I I <laughs> the memory of the kind of terror I felt mm. hearing my wife scream that, seeing what I saw, and the whole experience of just trying to stay awake after that because it was too terrifying to fall asleep, like that will stick with me probably forever. That's so wild. It's so interesting because when you think about people who have interactions with things, beings, entities that are unknown versus the experiences of loved ones, like, it, mm, that's so powerful. That's so creepy at the same time. Isn't it, though? Yeah. I, don't, I still don't know what to do with that. The only time I can think of that there was, like, something where, like, I f- felt like we were both... Like multiple people were like experiencing the same thing. Like there was one time that I was across the church or we were at my dad's church and across the street in Billings is the Moss Mansion. For anyone who isn't familiar with Billings, it's like, oh yeah, you guys know. Spooky, spooky, we know. Um, It's like, it's like a very, it's like one of the oldest buildings in Billings and it's on like the haunted list for Billings haunted tours. So like people who believe in hauntings, like believe it's haunted. And uh, outside at church one time, me and my buddy saw a figure in the top window which is like off limits like on a sunday too like nobody was there and we like grabbed our like sunday school teacher who i think was his mom and we like pointed at the window and nobody was there which like could be explained by somebody just being there right like it's a building like that people have access to so like could have been a person but one time at my parents house so the stairs going up to the second story, it's like a split level. So like basement, main floor, um, the, the stairs going up were very creaky. 
and you could not walk up the stairs without like someone hearing that you're walking up the stairs. It, it even though they were carpeted, it wasn't like wood. They were just like had a very distinct sound. And we were sitting down to eat, and we heard steps coming up the stairs, and we were like, "Oh, we didn't know Dad was home." <gasps> Hey, we're just sitting down to eat. And then silence. Oh. And I, I remember my mom grabbed something. I don't know if it was a baseball bat or what. And she was like, stay here. I'm going downstairs. She like searched around. Didn't see anybody. But like we all heard stairs. And that was weird. Huh. So I don't know what to make of that either. <laughs> you know, it's... Wow. It's so interesting. We have these movies like Paranormal Activity and like... Each of us having different encounters like that. And they're very creepy. Insidious was the one that freaked me out. Oh, Insidious. Like, you just like, they make you feel like kind of gross even to a certain extent. But then on the flip side, you have Coco, right? This amazing, colorful depiction of loved ones who have moved on, who come and visit Mm. those who still remain. Like, that to me is my vision of the communion of saints. Huh. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I feel like some of the the conversation of whether you can speak with loved ones who have passed or if they can communicate with you, some of that is cultural. Mm-hmm. So like coming from the movie Coco, man, I'm so glad you brought that up. This occurred to me like literally 30 minutes ago to eventually bring this up. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that does feel like it represents such a wholesome that concept of like, like, I don't even think it's that foreign from the way some people talk about like, well, yeah, like my passed away relative, like has become my guardian angel or something like that, where like, yeah, I don't know if that concept exists, but like, I'm I'm also inclined to think that like, if someone feels like they're supported and loved from beyond the veil of death by someone that they loved, I don't want to take that away from them, you know? Right. And like, of course, the the movie Coco makes an assumption that that is the way things work. I don't know. Like I, I, the the cultural angle is interesting to me because I don't feel like, you know, like it's the same celebration on October the thirty first for someone in that culture. But for me, I was discouraged from ever participating in Halloween because that was the holiday to celebrate demons, and that was my mm. culture. You know. Man, I, I really do keep coming back to the idea of like these priming beliefs are letting reality present itself to us as the way we think it is. But don't let me steal your thunder, Emily. What were your Coco thoughts? Oh, I'm aware I, that I may have just interrupted you and gone on another. No, rant. no, no, no. Actually, like <laughs> you, you had a pretty good spice way of saying it, and I was also just thinking how the beauty of carrying on someone's memory is. I think one way of communicating with loved ones past, like sharing stories and, you know, this is, you know, my, my grandma and these are things that my grandma did and I love her. And when we, when we share those memories and we continue to share the legacy that that person has left behind, I see that as a way of communicating with loved ones past. Like you are keeping them alive. You are, you are speaking to them in a way that's, you're showing other people who that person was to you. And I think that can be really powerful as well. And I think so often when people have a loved one who has passed that wasn't maybe the best person, like a loved one in the sense of like it was a family member, but maybe they weren't entirely close to that family member. I feel like people are put in really awkward positions where they're expected to have a certain way of grieving and processing. And don't you wish this, like, don't you wish you had more time with this person and yada, yada. And it's like, well, no, like, yeah, it's sad that they died, but I can just leave it at that, you know? And so I think the idea of talking to those who have died is fascinating because I'm sure there would be people who are like, nope, leave them dead. Like, I I don't want anything to do with that. They are gone. They have moved on. And then we have other people who like you, Stephen, where you were able to, you know, see and and talk to your daughter. And I guarantee 
that you cherish and welcome that openly. And that is a divine experience. And I don't know anyone in who write, who would want to disregard that in any way. So I think the idea of just communicating with the dead in general is fascinating because it's almost like you either have people who welcome it with open arms and then you have people on the other side who are like, hell no, leave it be. I don't really know if there would be many people who would be in the middle of like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe not. I think you would have to be like entirely yes or entirely no. Mm. I'm struggling to figure out or recall the the attribution of this quote, but are you, you guys are familiar with the idea of like, you don't truly die until the last person who remembers you dies as well. Like that's a very, like what? Mm-hmm. it's very Coco, literally. Um, I don't know the term for it, but I like the way you're speaking of like the way we keep memories alive is in a way continuing the life of that person at least in the way they continue to have an impact on you based on maybe things they said mm-hmm. or experiences they inspired for you. Um, <laughs> Here's maybe a dumb question. I'm so ready. But could it not be considered speaking like when you pray to Jesus? <laughs> Are you talking to the dead? <laughs> yeah. I think that the typical Christian answer, which I can kind of get on board with this. I think the like a typical answer might be the issue isn't talking to the dead. The issue is them talking back. And like the Mm. Christian believes that Jesus is in fact alive. Sure. Okay. Yeah. He, he died and rose again. Yeah. And most Christians believe that Jesus can talk back, even if it's not like cut and dry most of the time. Caveat. He died and rose again as the first fruits of those who would follow Mm. in his path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, I mean, of the of the dead mm-hmm. being raised, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the dead being raised, and then apparently, I mean, sometime like maybe through, like, okay, okay. So here okay. is here's where I find some uh, extreme openness to the idea that I've learned from the Catholics, being that like you can pray to Mother Mary. You can pray to Julian of Norwich and make requests of them, right? Like that's, that's part of the, the Hail Mary is like, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us saints and sinners now and at the hour of our death. Yeah, but the widely held belief, to my understanding, is that those saints are alive in heaven mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're not talking back to you. They're praying on your behalf, right? Mm. Yeah. Versus like trying to contact a loved one for advice or for closure or sure. Yeah. The haunting a, of a spirit. It, it's a fine line. Yeah. It is, is an interesting Christian caveat though. Is it? A, yeah. I mean, but is that a fine line just because some people have tried to wrap rather complicated theologies around it? Like what if it's simpler than that? And like, I mean, okay. So here, here's my bias is like, I'm the Christian universalist of the bunch. Like I think we're all saints. Mm. <laughs> so like could you not pray to a passed on loved one and ask them to make intercession on your behalf or something like that in the same way well, that a catholic would pray a hail mary now that's interesting and uh, say like christian hey, universalist take on the saints thank you mm, I, mm. i'll allow it I, 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 mm-hmm. well you're a fellow mm-hmm. heretic you of course would allow it i would say a difference being when they are praying to mary for intercession or forgiveness or anything they're not placing her on the same epitome or level as god right and so i think we would i think we just we need to be careful if we are going to be praying to loved ones past for intercession or forgiveness. We're not uh, all being deified on the moment of our death. Right. Like sainthood is not deity. Right. Surely. But at the same time, I almost, I almost want to fire back some Bible about us being co-heirs with Christ and truly equal with Christ. But yeah, but not in that light. Like (laughs) why not though? According to who? (laughs) Lord. Okay, going down this rabbit hole, Stephen, as someone who is a Christian universalist, 
Would you say that you believe in some conscious beings being disembodied on the earth? And that's what oh. we perceive as ghosts oh. in your view? Uh, to put it simply and honestly, yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. Emily, you as well? Yeah. All right. I'm still skeptical, but I'm wow. also yeah. like, I don't know. You guys, a lot is coming out in this episode. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Emily, how did you make sense of that? Like, I think I see how Steven is making sense of that with his like connection with like, uh, I have an afterlife in my paradigm. Yeah. That is mm-hmm, universalistly mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Right. And you even kind of have a view of like sanctification being like a process that is more or less unknown post death, but like you still believe in it right. to some extent. So like, I kind of see how it fits in your worldview. I'm curious how Emily comes to that conclusion. I honestly don't know how to make sense of it. Sure. Again, I think it, this is like my go-to answer for these last episodes. I think it's, again, people's experiences and validating that. But mm. it, for me, it would make sense that ghosts would be basically like loved ones departed who, whether it's their unwillingness to accept reality or people here unwilling to ex- like to accept that person's reality of fully moving on and fully letting go and healing and, you know, grieving. I think there are elements of the divine that come through in ways that we don't know how to make sense of it. And so to make sense of it, we create these ideas and images. And I think ghosts is one of those where there could be something divine at work happening that, may not entirely fit what I believe, but there is something that is happening and that is a way that I could make sense of it that makes sense in my reality. And ghost is one of those. Because yeah, I think it is possible, like I said, to communicate with the dead, but I'm not going to invalidate it or not, you know, depending on what the actual situation is. Uh, Would I like to be visited by a ghost or a loved one? Like... (laughs) I don't know. Mm. I don't know how I would feel about that. I think I, for me personally, I think that would do more harm than good. Oh, interesting. I guess maybe I feel the same way. Like I hearing people talk about their experiences like Stevens, where it's like, to me, it feels very clear that they're not trying to pull one over on me, you know, and like they're doing their best to make sense of something that they experienced as reality I don't know what to make of those. And like, I no longer believe they're demons. I don't believe that they are our consciousnesses that are somehow getting left behind before we're moving on to an afterlife or just perishing. Although I guess that's an option. But like, more or less, I, I just don't know what to make of it. And I think that that's okay. But I also like wouldn't invite it. <laughs> I guess like sort of out of fear of the unknown. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know a lot of these things get like wrapped up in like folklore and legend and stuff like that. But I'm like hesitantly skeptical for lack of a better word. (laughs) I'm reflecting on the surprise in your voice, Josh, when you were like, what is happening? Emily's been visited by an angel and Steven has seen a shadow person. Like what is going on? And part of it, like I feel like in Emily, let me know if I'm speaking for you out of turn but i personally feel like i almost wanted 111 episodes to happen before i told that story because i wanted to establish some credibility like i it, like in totally. the first few episodes had i come out with that i think that would have primed our the direction our audience took in a very specific way at least i had the sure. chance of doing that and like 112 episodes like people have more than 100 hours of me grappling with ideas that might feel more mundane or at least less fantastical and knowing that like I take those as seriously as I take my my weird experiences with shadow people or meeting my daughter in a prayer meditation you know like sometimes it can be like not that I'm ashamed of the story, but it's like, this is kind of like privileged information that I'm going to share with the people who have like learned what I am like and not make assumptions 
not make assumptions about what I am like based on like a first impression. Like on first impression, mm-hmm. if I just started telling that story to people I just met, that would be wild. <laughs> and mm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I actually like that the stories come out later. I do too. Yeah. I do too. Mm-hmm. It gives me a deeper appreciation of people's experiences. And I think to establish a relationship where you feel comfortable to share that story. Because like you said, it would be one thing if we didn't know each other and you didn't know how we would react. But I think there is a sense of trust. Or it would feel like I'm trying to capitalize on it and make money off of it, you know, or gain attention from it, which is not my goal either. No, but this was Whoa. this was great. Yeah. Wasn't it though? Eric, thank you so much for the question. I like this really tied in well with the last episode. So if people haven't listened to that one, you should go back and listen to the last one about near death experiences. Slightly along the same lines. But different. Yeah. And indeed. Eric, thank you. Uh if you have been listening to this episode and you're like, Whoa, I now have the power to maybe inspire an episode as wild as this one. You can do so by calling our voicemail box at 601-55-RAVEL, or the full number is 601-557-2835. You can find that number in the show notes as well. Any final thoughts from you two before we get out of here? I must say I am captivated by the imagery of the Holy Ghost. Ooh. That's kind of a direction we did not talk about, but like the idea of the Spirit of God haunting us in a way that we cannot escape, I think is really interesting. And I don't yeah. think it was accidental. Even if that wasn't the original intent of the the words used to describe the Spirit of God, I think that the translation is really interesting. And I think it's very thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. I think my takeaway is uh, with paranormal activity and wanting to communicate with the dead or loved ones past, I think Rather than seeing it as where it's creepy and, you know, demonic and eerie, uh, I'm going to see it in the more Pixar colorful, (laughs) loving way. And that there is a sense of grieving and joy intermixed. And I hope that you are able to find peace, even if you can't communicate with loved ones. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.